Amen. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 19 today. Genesis 19. Should be reaching a pretty familiar part of the story when it comes to um, our biblical narratives. Um, most everyone, even, even people that don't have a real solid uh, biblical foundation, when you mention the name Sodom and Gomorrah, most people maybe have been familiar with those terms or associate those those terms or these places with with evil um, and wickedness and and rightfully so um, because of what these these places represent and and more than anything I, I just I want us to see how this story this 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 true account here in the scripture how it really applies to you and me today um, you know that that's any good, any good communicator of the Word of God is, is going to not just tell you what the Word says, but how you can apply it to your life. And that's what I always really want to do whenever I bring these messages to you, because all of us can glean some really very important principles and some very essential truths that we can apply to our lives today. And that's my goal today. I titled my message today, Leave the World Behind and Never Look Leave the world behind and never look back. So Genesis 19, I'm not going to take the time this morning to read the entire chapter. I want to do my best to, to summarize it uh, for you this morning, and we'll, we'll touch on several parts of this chapter together. But if you, if you remember last, last week, we, we looked at Abraham, and we looked at uh, this encounter that he had with the Lord, and we looked at how it's easy for us as church people, religious people, um, even you know, genuine you know, believers in Christ, genuine children of God. It's easy for us to compare ourselves to others. And I talked a lot about that, uh, not last week, I think Randy was here last week, but two weeks ago. I talked a lot about how we have to be very careful because we can always find somebody or someone that's worse off than we are, Amen. that we can compare ourselves to and make ourselves feel better about who we are and what we're doing. We've got to be very careful about that because at the end of the day, the scriptures are clear, is that God's judgment begins with who? with the household of God. Let's don't forget that. God, God's very well aware about what's happening out in the world. He's not surprised by all of that. And neither should we really be surprised by what's happening out in Sodom and Gomorrah, as it were. What God is really more concerned with is, what about my people? How are you in your walk with the Lord? What are those sins and attitudes and actions and thoughts and and, and um, struggles that you're having in your own life that you're not really addressing or you're not really, really being honest about or you're maybe ignoring altogether or maybe justifying in your life simply because you can look out into the world as it is and you're like, at least I'm not like those people. At least I'm not as bad off as they are. 
And so we, we, if we're not careful, we can really begin to have this sense of self-justification, this sense of self-righteousness. And that's what I wanted to share with you a couple of weeks ago is Abraham was looking at what God was about to do to the cities here in the plain, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah there. And God was more concerned about Abraham and his spiritual condition than he was about what was going on down in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think that that's very, very important. We need to, we need to maintain that perspective as much as we possibly can. And again, it's, it's that old, uh, that, that parable or that, that illustration that Jesus gives us, right? You know, we're, we're more concerned about picking out the specks of, out of other people's eyes when we have this massive plank or this massive log in our own eye. That's a dangerous place to be. And so, so we, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, and now we're moving into the actual event itself where the Lord is like, okay, remember, he told Abraham, he told Abraham, he said, listen, I would spare the entire city if there were at least just 10 righteous people. He said, I would not, I'm not, will the judge of all the earth not do right? I mean, he will not destroy the, the righteous with the wicked. We know that that's the nature and the character of God. He's not going to do that. And Abraham was like, Lord, please don't destroy this city. And, and really, we understand Abraham's heart, more than anything, was for his nephew Lot and his family. He knew, nephew, he knew Lot and his family were there in the city. He knew that the Lord was about to bring judgment upon this place. And so he's very much burdened for them. And he's like, Lord, will you not wipe away the righteous with the wicked? And he said, if there were at least 10 people in the city, the Lord said, I won't destroy it. Which tells you what? There weren't, there weren't even 10. In this entire culture, in this entire, there, there were actually five cities in, along. This is where, if you know your geography of the Holy Land, this is somewhere around the Dead Sea. There's a reason why the Dead Sea is dead today. It's because of this event right here. If you go to the Dead Sea area today, it is a salt-filled, sulfur, barren wasteland. Nothing can grow in that area. But in Abraham's day, what do we read about this, this area? What was it like? It was like the Garden of Eden. It was beautiful, lush, vegetation everywhere. I mean, this amazing paradise of a place. And so after this event, and God basically brought sulfur and fire down on this region and completely just destroyed this entire region, to this very day, if you were to go to the Dead Sea, it is a barren wasteland because of what happened almost 4,000 years ago. It's amazing still to this day. And so we see here in Genesis 19 is that this is the actual event of when the Lord is going to now, he's going to send the two angels. Remember, the Lord came to Abraham with two angels. He's going to send these angels into Sodom for one purpose and one. It's a reconnaissance mission. It's a rescue mission. They're going in to save Lot and to save Lot's family and get them out in just enough time for God to do what he's going to do. And so again, like I told you, you're, you're probably very familiar with this story. And so I'll just kind of briefly kind of summarize some of the things that are going to happen. And then I got some things I want to share with you about this that I hope will be beneficial to you today. So the, so the two angels come into Sodom. Lot recognizes them immediately. And by the way, the rest of the community recognizes them as well. At first, they're like, hey, we're just going to hang out here in the city square and spend the night. And Lot's like, no, 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 you're not. You can't stay here, okay? Because Lot is very well aware of what the kind of culture that he's living in. So he brings them, he convinces them to come into their house, to come to his house, 
He wants to give them some refuge. He wants to give them some uh, refreshments. He wants to kind of show them hospitality, all those kind of things. And it isn't long before it says all of the men of the city, young and old, are banging on Lot's door. And they have some very wicked intentions. So they want to take these two men who are angels. Now, whether they knew they were angels or not, I'm pretty sure they probably recognized there's something different about these two messengers. But they wanted to have relations with them, okay? That's just no other way to put it, okay, in a a perverse way. And Lot comes out and he's like, no, don't do this. Don't do this terrible thing. Uh, There's this crazy exchange that he takes place there with his men. Lot, he said, he even offers up his two daughters to the people. He's like, at least that would be a natural, at least that's a natural thing. As wicked as that is, it's not an unnatural thing. And I think that's kind of what Lot's thinking there, even though I can't really understand why he would do what he did. Again, he's, he's, he's been compromised and he's been influenced by the culture as well. So we, there's just a lot of bad stuff here. I mean, this is, this is just difficult things to handle, right? We don't have to go into all the details. But eventually the, the men of the city, they're like, nope, we don't want your daughters. We want them. And so here come the, the mob is coming in to, to ba- basically break the door down. And the angels intervene. And they strike all of the men there with blindness so that they are basically prevented from being able to know what's going on. They can't find their way. And it is at that moment that the angels tell Lot and his family, like, okay, we've got to what? We've got to go. Get your family. Is there anybody else that you have in this city? His daughters were um, engaged to be married to two uh, men there in the city. They went to tell them, hey, the Lord is about to destroy the place. You need to come with us. What did they do? Anybody know? They laughed at them. They're like, sure, yeah, right. I'm not coming with you. You're crazy, right? So they don't, they don't leave with them. So at the end of the day, the angels, and, and it's so, so funny as you read the story, Lot and his family, even knowing what's about to happen, they're still hesitating. They're, they're just, they don't have that sense of urgency to, to get out. So the, Lord, the angels, the, the messengers are trying to tell them, hey, we need to leave like right now because God is going to do what he's going to do, and he's not going to do that until you what? Until I get you out and your family. And so the angels take Lot and his wife and his two daughters basically and just, you know, without basically dragging them out of the city, they strongly encourage them and get them out of the city, right? And he says, don't look back. Get out of here. God's bringing judgment. Um, and they, they finally get them out. And we see the stories that as soon as Lot and his family get out of the city, then the Lord begins to bring his judgment. And he rains down fire and brimstone, okay? And as we're going to see in just a minute, that there's one really unfortunate event that takes place, is that we see Lot's wife. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute, but we know the story about Lot's wife. What does she do? She looks back. She looks back. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means in in a minute. But, But because of her choice to look back, she is consumed in the judgment. And then, you know, we could continue reading, but, you know, that, that's, that's the basic gist of the story. So Lot and his two daughters are the only ones who survive this cataclysmic, righteous, divine judgment of God. Okay? 
Now again, there's so many different ways you could preach this message, but today I want to make it more personal to you and me. I want to make it personal. So I want to give you some points here. If you have a listening guide, let's just jump in together. And again, we'll just kind of look through some of these scriptures together as we go. So leave the world behind and never look back. So the first thing today is I want to remind you that just like Lot, we live in the midst of a perverse and a wicked generation. Just like Lot, we live in the midst of a perverse and a wicked generation. I mean, it's... uh, it's not difficult for us to see. Again, we, we have eyes, we have ears. We understand uh, this world in which we live and the, and the, gen- the culture in which we are immersed in, guys. It's, it's, just, it's, just, downright, it's just downright wicked. It's just, it's just evil at its core. And it, it, and it just wears on us. I don't know about you, it, it, it wears on me. I'm pretty sure it probably wears on you. And so we have to acknowledge that, yes, we are living in days that are very similar in many ways to what it was like in the days of Lot. So let's talk about our culture. So our culture today, it, it is fueled by certain things, okay? Let me give you some things that, that our culture is fueled by, okay? What, what gives our culture its, uh, its negative or its, or its sinful energy, I guess it would, as it were. The first thing our culture is fueled by is, is perversion and sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Um, we, we see that everywhere. Um, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's unescapable. The, the word sexual immorality in the scripture is just the word porneia. Porneia. It, it's the word that we get our word por- pornography from. It, it just means anything perverse. Anything that is not pure, sexually pure. It's on your TV, it's on your phone, it's on your advertisements, it's, on, it's, in, it's in your schools, it's, uh, it's in your music, it's, in your, it's everywhere. You just can't escape it, right? So this is the culture in which we live. We are immersed in a culture of perversion, sexual immorality, instead of sexual purity, which is what God designed. We live in a culture of materialism. Materialism. Um, how many of us today are struggling struggling because we're in debt. We're in debt. Sometimes that's for reasons that we can't control, but sometimes it's because we've bought into this materialistic culture and system where we spend money that we don't have to impress people that we don't like, right? And we, and we get too caught up in this materialistic culture and we become slaves to the lender and become such a heavy burden and it causes so many problems and we end up having marital problems and family problems and stress and anxiety and all of these things. But that's, that is the culture in which we live. And, and we live in this culture instead of a culture of generosity and gratitude and contentment. We live in a culture of really narcissism. It's, it's a culture of self-promotion and self-centeredness and uh, self Love, in a sense. Now, listen, I know we're supposed to love ourselves in a very healthy and a biblical way, but that's not the culture in which we live. The culture in which we live is teaching us that self is to be elevated above all else. And, and that's the generation that we live. Instead of living a Christ-centered, God-centered, selfless, self-giving culture. 
We live in an instant, a culture of instant gratification. That's why drug abuse and, and drug overdoses are so running so rampant in our world today. It's because the, the temptation to use illicit drugs is to get that instant high. It's to get that instant gratification that it takes just a minute to, to ingest drugs or use drugs in, in such a way that it just it gives you that instant euphoric state. And man, you feel great for about 10 minutes, maybe a couple of hours, however long it may be, until it just leaves you what? Completely empty. But it's that, it's that temptation of instant gratification that we live in. Amen. And that's, it creates this impulsive behavior in the people of our generation. We want it and we want it now. Instead of learning how to be faithful and to have patience and to be waiting for the good things of God. And then we have a culture that is a, a culture in pursuit and, a, and a, of power and abuse of power. Um, it's, it's a sense of entitlement. It's a sense that, that I deserve to be served. Uh, that Again, it goes back to that me culture instead of being those who serve other people, right? And so it's not, uh, it's not rocket science for us to, to look at the world around us and recognize that this is the world in which we live. Um, and Paul says in Galatians 5, he kind of he gives us a summary of, of what I think is a good description of, of our world today. I'm going to read it to you in Galatians It says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh craves what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. Is anybody there today? You may be a believer. You may be a Christian. You may have the spirit of God living in you, but you're doing things that you do not want to do. Why? Because you have a sinful nature and that simple nature is at war with your spirit so you may be struggling today and and indulging in some of these temptations giving in to some of the desires of your flesh and that leaves you just feeling so miserable and so torn and you're you're struggling because you have this guilt and this shame and this whole cycle of just psychological trauma because you know you don't want to be doing this stuff but you're doing it anyway you know that you're not supposed to be doing it, but you, you keep finding yourself drawn back to it. It's a very, very hard place to be. I've been there. I've been there many times in my life. It's a miserable place to be. And I hope, I hope that if you're there today, I hope that you'll hear the message today because it's, it's going to give you some hope to know that you can break that cycle. Amen. But it says, it says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law because there's no law against things that are good. Right? If you're doing that which is good, there's, there's, no, there's no law against it. It's, it's good. You're free. But look at what it says. But the acts of the flesh are obvious. Okay, so here's our culture in which we live. Sexual immorality, check. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and sorcery. By the way, sorcery is pharmakia, using drugs to alter your state of mind. Hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, rivalries, divisions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let me ask you a question. Is our generation today worse than it's ever been before? It's a good question, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm, a little bit, I'm a little bit torn with that question. 
I think in some ways, just now here's the thing that I think we have to do. We can look back 10, 20, 50 years ago, and we noticeably have seen a, de- a decline in our culture, right? I mean, we've seen just immor- immorality, and, and, you know, our culture has just continually spiraled into a worse condition than it was before. But I would say that it's probably hard for us to say that we're worse than what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because God made a definitive statement when he destroyed these cities with fire and brimstone. So is it worse than it's always been? It's worse than we've ever seen it. I don't know if it's worse than it's ever been, but we nonetheless, it doesn't really matter. It's getting what? It's getting worse. It's continually to, to, to degenerate out of control. And I do think that that is one of the signs that the Lord tells us that we could be living in the last days. Because we know that that's one of the signs of us really experiencing what it's going to be like as it was in the days of Lot during the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll see a little bit more about that in a minute. So I want you to listen to what it says about Lot in, in uh, 2 Peter. It says, if the Lord rescued Lot, a righteous man distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw and that he heard. Three times in that one verse, those two verses, Lot is called what kind of a man? A righteous man. Was he perfect? Not by any means. As I said, he was very much influenced by the culture around him, but he was still a righteous man. He was still a man of faith. And because he was a man of faith, living in the midst of a very wicked and perverse generation, then he was tormented. It says day after day after day, he was tormented. He was under so much overwhelming distress because of the things that he heard and the things that he saw. And I would just, I would just pose this to you. Do you feel that way today? When you look at the culture in which we live and you do look at the world around us, again, now, don't forget to look at yourself first. Don't miss that. We have to examine ourselves first because there's things in our life that are just as displeasing to God as what we would look at the rest of the world being displeasing to God. So be careful not to be, become, again, self-righteous in that sense. But it, nonetheless, you and I both know that when we look at the condition of our world, Guys, it is, it is tormenting to us because of the things that we what? That we see and the things that we hear. Think about the things that our children are being exposed to today as opposed to what I was exposed to just 40 years ago, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, think of the things that our children are seeing and hearing on social media every single day that we would just, I mean, we would just would have been shocked. We would have been appalled to even imagine those kind of things being communicated to our children just a few years ago. So, yes, there should be something in us, guys, as God's children, that it's not okay. We shouldn't be okay with the world in which we live. There should be something wrong. We should feel this sense of, of disgust or this sense of very, you know, great concern with the world in which we live. And so, yes, we live in the midst of a wicked and a perverse generation. Is it as bad as it's ever been? I'm not so sure. Is it getting that way? Seems like it. Doesn't seem like it's getting any better. The second thing is that we see in this this passage is that just like Lot, God is calling us 
his people to come out of this wicked world system and to be set apart. Now, this, this is an interesting concept for me because when you look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we, we have a physical escape. Like Lot literally is in the middle living in Sodom in the middle of a, in a very wicked city, in the very middle of a very wicked culture. And literally, God is sending rescue messengers into Sodom to say, Lot, I need you to physically get out of here or you're going to die. You're going to perish with the rest of them. So you have this, this physical removal, right? Come out of Sodom, Lot, because I'm about to do something that you don't want to be a part of, right? You need to escape the judgment that's coming on these wicked people. So when we look at it from our perspective, though, it's not necessarily the same. Now, there may be instances and situations, and you all know what I'm talking about, where maybe you are in a very bad situation. Maybe you are living in a very bad place. Maybe you are surrounded by a bunch of impure, immoral, and corrupt people that you need to physically what? get out of. You need to physically remove yourself out of that situation. There are situations and instances that some of us may be facing where that's the case. But I think we need to look at this from a little bit of a different perspective. Let me, let me share with you what it means to be set apart. What it means to be set apart is it means that we are to look and live and believe and behave differently. Hey, Bill, do you know where that buzz is coming from? It's probably one of these... Uh, Make sure all the instruments are muted up there. They are. So what it means to be set apart is that we are to live and believe and behave what? Differently. We are supposed to look different than the world around us. All right? This is the challenge, I think, the big challenge of believers. And I think that if we look at the church, especially the modern church, I think one of the problems that, we, that we've run into is that it, sometimes it's very, very difficult to distinguish God's people from the world. We should be able to do that. Sometimes it's very difficult. Let me give you an example. Divorce rates. Divorce rates in the church, pretty much status quo with the divorce rates with people outside the church. Probably shouldn't be that way. Let me give you another one. Back to the pornea, pornography. Christians, even pastors who are viewing and struggling with pornography, it's on the same percentages as people who are not Christian. Shouldn't that be different? It should be. You see what I'm saying? So things like drug use and alcohol abuse and thing, you know, other, other things that we could point at, there's not a huge distinction when we start looking at people who are religious or people who are supposed to be God's children as opposed to the rest of the world. But we are called to be set apart and we're called to come out of this world system. Okay, let me read a scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 6. Listen to this. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, we could, we could apply that across a lot of different um, scenarios. The, the most obvious, I think, is marriage. You know, if you're going to choose a spouse and you're a person of faith, probably a good idea not to choose somebody who's not a believer. 
Don't become yoked with a person who's not a believer. I think you can look at it from business as well. If you're going to go into business, you're going to invest time and money and energy into, into a project or, or a, a, you know, a, a business venture. It's probably a good idea to, to do that with people who are like-minded with you, right? So, so don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership can righteousness have with wickedness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial or Satan? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? That's a, that's a legitimate question. Really, and when it all comes down to it, we don't have that much in common or shouldn't when it comes to a believer and an unbeliever. It says, what agreement can exist between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, listen, therefore, come out from among them and be separate. That, that's the word holy. Be set apart. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. 1 John 5 says it this way, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. Now listen, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God remains forever. We have to be reminded in our journey and our pursuit of life that the world is going to offer. Let me tell you something, guys. Satan and this world system, is, they're very good at what they do. They are masters of temptation. It's not that they're offering things that are repulsive to us. The, the, the temptation of the world and the flesh and the devil is that these things, that the pleasures and the desires of life and, and, the, and the world that's being offered to us, it's not that these things are repulsive to us. They are very attractive to us. They are very pleasurable to us. Satan has some good that he can offer that will make you feel what? It'll make you feel good. It'll, you can have your pleasure with sin for a season. And you can, you can ride that thing as long as you want. But we know that it's only temporary. It's only temporary. It will fade away. It's going to pass away. It's fleeting. It'll only give you that high or that feeling or, or that pleasure. It'll only give you that just for a minute. Maybe it's a day. Maybe it's a week. Maybe you can make it drag on for a month or two. But eventually, you're going to end up feeling completely empty and only wanting what? More. And the next time you go to it, you realize it takes just a little bit more. And then it, when it leaves you empty, it's that same cycle. Then it, it brings you back where it's going to want a little bit more. It's going to take a little bit more. That's what the, the pleasures of this world. So it's not that, you know, it's not that Satan is offering things to us that, that are not attractive and appealing and pleasurable to us. Yes, they are. They have their season of pleasure. That's what makes it so tempting. But in the end, it only destroys. It only leaves us unsatisfied, empty, and it will destroy us in the end. So let's talk about those three things. I'm going I'm to put it real simple to you. Okay, it's very important you understand how this, how this works. Because this is where some of us may be today, okay? I've been here. 
All right, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh says this. If it feels good, what? Do it. Anybody ever heard that one before? If it feels good, it must be right. If it feels good, just do it, right? That's the lust of the flesh, okay? That's the temptation. And again, I'm telling you, Satan offers things to us. I'm gonna, we all know, we're being honest, that feels really what? Feels really good. Let's don't, let's don't lie about it. These things, whether it be drugs or sex or money or power or, or popularity or whatever it may be, these things can feel really good for a season. So that's the lust of the flesh. If it feels good, do it. The lust of the eyes says, if it looks good, you should have it. Right? That's, that's the whole marketing industry. What makes you stop on your Facebook feed to, at a, at a, for an advertisement? It's going to draw you in what? Visually. You see something, you're like, whoa, that looks what? Looks good. I should what? I should, I should get it. I should have that. This is the temptation of the world. If it feels good, do it. If it looks good, you should get it. You should have it. You should go for it. And here's the most dangerous one. What is the pride of life? The pride of life says this. You deserve it. You deserve it. Because at the end of the day, what the world is telling us is that if it makes you happy, you deserve it. Whatever makes you happy, you need to go do your thing. You see what I'm saying? That's the most dangerous lie that, that Satan is trying to peddle to you and me every single day. Is that not only if it feels good, do it. If it looks good, go for it. But if you want it, you deserve it. You deserve to be what? Happy. That's the lie of the world. Will you be happy? Mm, maybe for a minute. But ultimately, will you be happy? No, you're going to be miserable. You're going you're to sow consequences of sin and destruction and loss and grief that you will never be able to get back. See, that's, that's where we are. So, so let me ask you this question. Knowing all of this, so how do we come out of the world system? How do we separate ourselves if we're not talking about a physical removal like Lot physically was taken out of Sodom? How do you and I remove ourselves or come out of this world system? I'm going to recommend one thing. Is that we have to stop participating in the sins of the world. It's very simple. How do we come out of Sodom? How do we come out of Babylon or whatever you want to call it? The system that we're in. Now remember, we're in the what? We're in this what? World. Can we get out of the world? No, we're in it. There's nothing we can do to get out of it. But we are not to be of the world. That's the difference. You can't escape the fact that we're in the world. It's like a fish in the ocean. You're just in it. Okay? But we don't have to be what? Of it. Meaning we don't need to participate and compromise the will and the word of God in order to chase after these things that everybody else is chasing after so that when we, through the influence of the Holy Spirit, we know that which is right, we know that which is wrong, we believe God has said the things that he said to us for our own good, and we have the power now and the ability to say no. 
I don't. I might want that. I might want it. But I have enough power of the Holy Spirit in me, enough knowledge of the Word of God to say, but I don't what? I don't need it. I don't need it because I know where that's going to lead. And it's going to lead to nothing but sin and pain and destruction. And so, guys, that's what I think the Lord is calling you and me to do. Is that at the end of the day, here's what it comes down to. It really does come down to one thing, faith. It comes down to faith. Let me explain what I mean by that. When we're being tempted with sin, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, when it comes down to it, here's what the question is. Is, do you believe that God is enough? That's all it comes down to. Do I believe? Because every time that we sin, every time we choose something that is contrary to the word and the will of God, what we are saying to God is, God, you're not enough for me. i got to go looking for something else to find pleasure or joy or gratification or whatever it may be. And God, I'm telling you that I'm going after this stuff that I know is not good for me. I know it's not. It's breaking your heart, but I'm doing it because basically I don't have enough faith to believe that I have everything I need in you. That's why sin and faith are always in contradiction. When we obey God, we're operating out of faith. When we disobey God, we're not. That's what it always comes down to. Do you believe that God is enough? Every sin I've ever committed, committed in my life, and I've chosen sin instead of God, was me telling him, I don't believe you're enough, God. I got to go find it somewhere else. Guys, that's a lie. It's just a lie. And you all know it, too. Because every time we do that, where does it leave us? Broken, full of regret, pain, consequences of sin, destruction. Two more things, and I want to I want to get to the bottom of this thing. Now, let's look at this. This is important. God always provides a way of escape when we face various temptations of life. Now, let me say this to you because it's very, very important. <clears throat> How many of you have ever heard, ever heard this? <clears throat> God will never give us more than what we can bear. Anybody ever heard that one? That is a lie. The Bible does not say anything about God is not going to give you more than what you can bear. How many of you out there today have been through something? that was more than you could bear on your own. Death of a child, loss of a loved one, terminal cancer, serial abuse and mistreatment, divorce of a family, destruction of a relationship, a wayward child, depression, suicidal thoughts, shame. Those things... Let me tell you, those things are more than what we can what? That's more than I can bear. I cannot bear that on my own. If, if I had to bear those kind of things, those kind of losses, those kind of sufferings on my own, I wouldn't make it. We wouldn't make it. 
That's probably why suicide rates are at such astronomical highs in our culture today. It's because people go through those kind of experiences, that kind of loss, that kind of suffering, those kind of abuses, those kind of tragedies in their life, and they just simply can't handle it and bear it alone. And so their only answer in their mind is, I just don't want to what? I just don't want to live anymore. And unfortunately, too many people follow through with that. Guys, the reality is that there are going to be so many things in our life that we cannot bear, which is why we need who? We need him. That is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that there are things in our life that are going to be so difficult for us and so unbearable for us that he is going to be the only one that can step into our life at that time, and he's going to have to pick us up, and he's going to have to carry us all the way through. I look back on times in my life, mistakes I've made, sins that I've been through, tragedies that I've suffered, and I look back on those times, and it's like a blur to me. And, and sometimes I've lost, like, years of my life. I'm like, and like, mentally, I can't even remember, like, two years of my life. Like, what happened there? It was like a blur. You know what happened? Is that I was so far out of it, I, I could not take another step. I couldn't take another breath. God had to do what? He carried me. He carried me all the way through and got me through that on the other side. And when he finally put my feet down and I came back to my senses, I'm like, wow, I don't know how that happened. Well, really, I do now. Anybody else experience that? The Bible never says that God will not give you anything beyond what you can bear. What the Bible says is that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Because what will he always provide for you and for me? A way out. We're not talking about suffering and tragedy and loss and abuse and death and all these terrible things that we can't handle our own. What he's specifically talking about here is that when we're faced with temptation to sin, God is always going to give us a way out. He's always going to give us a way of escape. Let me read it to you. It's 1 Corinthians 10. It says, so the one who thinks he is standing firm should be careful not to fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my beloved, flee. From idolatry. Think about all the times in your life that you chose to sin. And I know I'm not just talking about day-to-day stuff. We all struggle with sin. You know, what I say, little things, common things in life. But I'm talking about the, the big ones in your life. Anybody got some big ones out there? The big mistakes you made. And when you look back on those sins, you look back on the, the time when you made that choice, you remember that you always had a way what? There was a way out. Is God going to make you take it? See, there's, all, there's a principle at work in, in all of this. It's called free will. It's called free will. That's why I think Lot's wife really was unfortunate. It's because, yes, the angels 
grabbed Lot and his family, and yes, they, they strongly encouraged them to come on out. you got to get out of the city. But at the end of the day, God's not going to violate our free will. He's going to allow us to make our choices, and if we're not careful, he's going to provide a way of escape. He's going to give us a way out, but we have to what? We've got to take it. We've got to make the choice to take the way out. He's not going to do it for us. Something that we have to really be aware of in our life, especially when we're facing that time of temptation. Don't you wish you could go back and take that way out? I can't tell you how many times I wish I could go back and take the way out. But it leads me to my last point, which is probably maybe the most important for the day. Because I was talking to my, our journey class uh, in our small group before I came in here that I've been really struggling lately with looking at my past and regret. Just looking back on my life and the things that I've done or didn't do that I'm ashamed of or I, I deeply regret mistakes that I've made, sins that I've done. And if you're not careful... I mean, it's okay to deal with that. It's okay to acknowledge that. We, sometimes we need to acknowledge that. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But what we don't want to do is that we don't want to get stuck in the what? In the past. That's a dangerous place to be. Okay, don't get stuck in the past constantly looking back. That's my last point. Once we choose to take hold of Christ... Listen, we must be willing to leave the world behind and never look back. This is a hard thing. But if you don't, if you don't get anything else out of our message today, I want you to get this out with our next 10 minutes is where we're going to camp out for a second, okay? There's this, this imagery as the angels came into Sodom they grabbed Lot's hand. They grabbed his wife. They grabbed his daughter's hand. They took hold and said, what? Come with me. I'm saving you. I'm rescuing you. I'm, I'm giving you your way out of escape. But there's a reciprocating principle here is that they also had to what? They had to hold on too. You know, God's not going to pull you kicking and screaming. They had to have a, a, enough initiative, enough willingness in their own heart to take hold of the, the rescue that they were offered, right? So we have a chance to take hold of Christ. He certainly has taken hold of us. If you're here today and you know Jesus and you're in that relationship with the Lord and you're one of his children, he did everything necessary to take hold of you, right? to give you a relationship with him. But there is a principle at work that every single day that we wake up, we have a choice. Are we going to take hold of Christ and let him lead us this day, walk with him hand in hand, as it were? Think about that illustration. Or are we going to try to do it on our, on our own? That's a conscious choice that we have to make every single day. Listen to what Jesus said 
in Luke 17. Listen to what it says. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Listen, on that day, let no one on the housetop come down to retrieve his possessions. Likewise, let no one in the field return for anything he has left behind. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. Don't look Now, I wonder, why did Lot, Lot's wife perish? Here's my, here's my theory. It's just your two, my two cents. They're, they're out of the city. They're, they're, they're getting out of what I call the danger zone. Now, I don't know what God did when he rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. It was, I'm looking at it probably like more, maybe like a nuclear explosion or something. Who knows? Who knows? It was, it, was a, it was a supernatural event. That's all we know. We don't know exactly how it all played out, right? But if you think about a nuclear explosion, let's just run with that for a minute. There's a radius in that explosion. And as long as you get outside the danger zone of that radius, you're safe. But what happens if you stay within that radius? The radiation just what? It just consumes you. You've seen, the, you've seen the pictures, right? You've seen the videos of the mushroom cloud and the, the explosion just, just obliterates everything in its path. Maybe that's kind of what was happening here. I don't know. But as Lot's wife was led out of the city, I feel like she started to fall behind. She felt the pull back. And the pull was so strong, she had God ahead of her. Remember, who's, who's up in the hills waiting for him? The Lord is, remember? The Lord was up there with Abraham. He's looking down. The angels are bringing them to the Lord. You've got the Lord in one direction. You can go be with him and be safe. Is he enough for you? Or are you still believing the lie that what you left behind is more, is better? And Lot's wife got to a point where she started to doubt. Wait a minute, maybe that isn't all what it's made out to be. Maybe I need to turn back and go back home. And at some point, she stopped, and when she turned back and looked back, she was still in the radius. And when all the uh, catastrophe, when all the fire and brimstone began to come down, she was not in the safe place. She was still in the danger zone, and she was consumed. So she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, that is a graphic illustration for what you and I have to be very, very careful to do, okay? It's because she wanted to save her old life, and in trying to save her old life, what did she do? She lost it. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I think the very simple principle, guys, in this is, how much of us does God want? He wants all of us. He doesn't want half of you. He doesn't want 99.9% of you where you still give 1% to the world or one-tenth of a percent. He doesn't want 75%. You know, what we have to be careful about is sometimes we're like, okay, God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take hold of you, Lord. But this one part of my life, I'm not willing to what? I'm not willing to turn loose of this. 
I'm going to hold on to this one. It doesn't work that way. God says, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. All your mind. All your strength. All of you, with everything that you are. And so that's where we have to be so careful, guys. And there's really two things that that go with this. And I I know I've got to wrap up. I just want to, y'all stay with me just a few more minutes, okay? There's there's two things about this principle that that I, I think are very important. The first is that we need to be careful that we're not looking back and allowing ourselves to be drawn back into the world, okay? That's one temptation. Again, that goes to that daily question, God, are you enough? Do you believe that he's enough? If you believe by faith that he's enough, that he has everything that you need, that there's pleasures at his right hand forevermore, that he will satisfy your soul and you will never be felt lacking or wanting. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you believe that? If you believe that, you're going to stay close to him. You're not going to be led and tempted to turn back and look at the world and try to turn to the world to meet that need in your life, whatever that need is that God has already promised to meet. So don't look back and get lured back into the world. But here's the the other one, and that's why I want to say it, because what God's been doing in my life. Also, don't look back to the past. Don't don't get stuck in the shame and the guilt and the self-condemnation or the self-pity or the regret or the sorrow or the grief or whatever that may be about the past. Because let's be honest, guys. What can we do to change the past? You can't, I'm sorry, you can't do anything. And and even, you know what's even more difficult? What can you do to change the consequences of your sinful past? I'm sorry. That, That one's the hardest one for me. You will reap what you... God doesn't show partiality. He's like, if you make that choice, this is what you get down the road. I'm sorry. Like, I love you, but I love you still. I can forgive you for that, but you're still going to suffer what? Consequences. That's the hardest part. Because what will sin do, honestly? Sin will take us further than we were willing to go, make us stay longer than what we ever wanted to stay, and it'll cost us more than what we were ever willing to pay. That's what sin does. But if we're not careful, we can start getting stuck in this place where we're looking back, we're looking back, we're beating ourselves up. Guys, that's not where God wants us to be. This is where God wants us to be. Here it is. It's not that we've already obtained all of this or already have been made perfect, but we press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I strain forward toward that which is Ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. I said this to my class, I'm going to say it to you. Don't get stuck in the past. Don't live a life looking back, consumed with guilt and condemnation and shame, and all the things, because that's where the devil wants you to be, right? He wants to beat you up. We can be honest about it, we can acknowledge it, but at the end of the day, what is God saying? We have to forget what is behind and do what? Press on toward what is ahead. What is ahead? Remember, where is where are the angels leading Lot and his family? Who's up on the hill waiting for him? The Lord, the Lord Jesus. 
God incarnate. He's waiting for them. How do we keep our eyes from being drawn away to the past and instead of being fixed on what? Fix your eyes on who? He's the goal. He's the prize. And here's the last thing I want to share. I'm going to ask our praise team to come up. Listen, stay with me. No matter what's happened in the past, here's what God's telling you today. Finish well. Finish the race. Starting today. Can we do that? Starting today, no matter what's happened, no matter how much you've blown it, no matter how big your mess is you, that you've made, no matter what are the consequences of the sin that, you've had, that you're having to deal with right now, that is nothing you can do to change that. But what we can do is put our hand to the plow, not look back, and we can finish what? Finish well. Finish well. Because at the end of the day, we just want to hear those words. We just want to hear those words. What are they? When Jesus looks at us and says what? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Not perfect. Good and faithful. Don't look back. Never look back. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you today and thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that we are not condemned in Christ Jesus. And Lord, even though we cannot change our past and we cannot change the mistakes that we've made, we can change our future. And we can press on, Lord, toward the goal to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord Jesus, because you are the author and finisher of our faith, Lord, and you are the prize, you are the goal, and we want to strive toward you, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to get caught up in the, in the, the guilt and the shame of the past, Lord, but help us to find faith and hope in the future. And as we take hold of you, Lord, as you have taken hold of us, and that we can just believe today that you, God, are enough. We don't have to go to the world. We don't have to turn to anything else in this world, Lord, to meet our needs, to satisfy our desires. You and you alone are enough. And so we believe that today, Lord, and we pray it in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Guys, let's stand together.